0: When you think about applying for a practice loan, do you think about speed and simplicity? Likely not. For many veterinarians, applying for business loans can be a long and fatiguing process. Luckily, the sponsor of the podcast, Provide Inc., has changed all that. Provide is a specialty lender to the veterinary industry. They're the only, and I mean only, fully online and digital lender in the veterinary space, which makes life easy. You know I go on and on, and I'm so pro-practice ownership. I cannot be happier to have Provide be a sponsor. Whether you're in Maine or California, Provide can help. They aren't going to require you to open your savings account or jump through some hoops to get some sort of relationship discount on your loan. They're simply just going to say, here's our rate, this is the process, and we're going to do a good job. Provide uses innovative software and technology coupled with excellent service and an industry experience to deliver something that's just more efficient. Even on very complicated transactions, Provide can make a decision on whether they're going to lend in a mere five to seven business days. As we all know, time is money and having those answers quickly matters. Provide offers financing for practice acquisitions, buy-ins or buy-outs, commercial real estate, refinancing, practice remodels, all that stuff. Anything that you have around financing for your veterinary clinic and your business, they can help you with. So when you think about it, you can pre-qualify in minutes with no effect on your credit score. That's a benefit as well. For more information, head over to theveterinariansuccesspodcast.com scroll all the way to the bottom. You'll see a hyperlink under the provide bio. That'll get you directly to where you can pre-qualify. You can do it on your couch. You can do it in 10 minutes or less. And if you do want to reach out directly to them, please let them know that I sent you. They'll take great care of you and they will be alongside you for one of the biggest purchases of your life and do a great job at it. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today I'm joined by Dr. Lily Davis, who is a veterinarian oncologist who's focused on treating animal cancer and improving her patient's quality of life with a healthy balance of evidence-based medicine and compassion. So Dr. Davis is a first generation college graduate who grew up in the Bronx. She's open about her path of A, how she got to where she's at today, but like what the future holds as well. And Definitely want to get into that, but also kind of financially what that looks like. And we had a fantastic kind of intro call, and I'm excited to chat through some of that. Overall, I've only met her one other time, but I'm really, really excited for this conversation. And Dr. Davis, thank you for carving out the time to talk today.
1: Thanks, Isaiah. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Yeah, this is fun and always enjoyable to have, I think, guests that bring a different lens to veterinary medicine. And everyone has their own story. And I wanted to get started with just something. Let's say simplistic, but it's on your LinkedIn profile and you have the term empath, and I just want to understand why that term was so meaningful to you,
1: yeah, it's really meaningful for many different reasons. It's a part of my personality that I didn't learn a lot about until I became a veterinarian or at least embarked on the journey to being a veterinarian and it's something I noticed was a power and a weakness all at the same time, pretty early on. I remember my first I'd say. My first week or month as a oncology resident, I was like, this is hard. Not only like learning the material about cancer, but just the fact that I would take home a lot of the stuff that my clients presented to me, not just with their pets, but kind of with their personal lives too. And I learned pretty early on that thankfully and Sometimes, some days, unfortunately, clients not only share what's wrong with their pets, but what's wrong with their like personal lives too. With me, they just feel so open to share those issues. And for example, to be like, "Oh yeah, you know, this was my mom's dog, and she died like yesterday, <laughs> like literally." Like some stories, I'm like, "Oh my god!" And they kind of unload, and it's wonderful because I foster these wonderful bonds with my clients. But it's tough when you literally absorb that and you take it home with you. And I know I'm not alone in that most of my colleagues are also empath sympathetic, like we cared that much, but I had to learn pretty quickly that if I didn't control that, that it would destroy me because you can't take on everything that. People present to you, including my coworkers, too. So I love it because I can use this tool to help people, but I also need to recognize that, like, I have to turn it off. It has to be controlled. It can't be this thing that I have on all the time. I know it sounds very vague and weird, but I I know that there are a lot of veterinarians who will understand exactly what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it sounds weird at all. How do you kind of try to set, and maybe it's like boundaries or Think through how to protect yourself to make sure that you don't allow it to just take over like so much into your personal life too to where you can get it's so heavy like you deal with a lot of things that aren't necessarily great situations all the time. so do you have any ways that you've found helpful to deal with that or maybe even things that didn't work and I know each person's gonna be different, but kind of what have you seen?
1: It's a work in progress. I'm much better at it than I was I'd say seven years ago when i first started vet school but i think what helps is trying to like keep things in perspective and it gets better with time and kind of learning my clients expectations and going through the motions of like giving bad news over and over and over again and dealing with the waves of grief the different stages of grief i find that having good mental hygiene is really important. And for me, that means having a therapist, going to therapy regularly, being very outspoken about that, getting the support myself so that way I can show up and be there for my clients and my colleagues is the most important thing. And that's very, very nuanced and complex. There's no one tip I have for how I deal with it. I can't say I journal, I meditate. Like it's not just one thing. It's just kind of a way of being, you know, it's the way I survive. But I'd say, honestly, therapy really is what helps me kind of stay balanced and show up for myself and then for people who rely on me.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that. And if you'll allow me to ask, is the therapist you see now the first one you saw or did it take a while to find the right fit? What did that look like?
1: Yeah, I've been in therapy my entire adult life. I started an undergrad at Cornell. Cornell, in general, is known for the high suicide rate. So, it's interestingly enough, I got introduced to suicide and what that means pretty early on, before I even became a veterinarian. So, it was to me readily apparent in early on in my career that I have to take care of my mental health to survive life, to survive success. Which was it was very very upsetting at first, but it took a while to find the right therapist. I've been lucky in that throughout my life, I've been exposed to wonderful therapists, and I've had good experiences with that. I know a lot of my friends and family, honestly, don't believe in it, or they haven't had good experience, which breaks my heart. But I've had really, really wonderful people kind of help me tackle my mind, which is, I think, the hardest thing any of us human beings can do. <laughs>
0: yeah I would agree with that. The human mind is fascinating. It's amazing that everyone has their own skill set and blessings and curses and all these things that help them get through. But you had to unpack all the different things that you've gone through from childhood through adulthood and the relationship like there's so much there. It's so complex. like you said, there's no silver bolt It's like, you know what you go to therapy and it's just you're just a different person. it's easy, right? They just show up so right um, yeah, it's tough you have a significant other and other veterinarians a lot of times do as well. Like, do you view having conversations there as being helpful as well? Or is it, or do you save that to where you don't want to pass that to that person and just save that then for therapy? And again, I know we're going very deep into this like initial conversation, but
1: no, that's no one's ever
0: brought this up before. And I appreciate again, the honest and openness of you.
1: I think that significant others do play a huge part in our well-being. However, the biggest difference. And what I've actually found to be most helpful in my life is not relying on my significant other for the entire burden of my mental well-being. I've done that in the past. It doesn't work because one, you're relying on another human being who's not (laughs) trained to do this to kind of wade you through this part of your life and all the challenges, which is a little unfair, but also like they don't get it in terms of the vet profession. A lot of times me and my colleagues always commiserate on how our significant others, like they get it, but like not really, they get it to a certain point. And that goes for like family, friends, significant others in general who are outside of vet med. So I've found that, yes, it's helpful, but he can only meet me where he can meet me. And especially since he hadn't gone through the entire journey with me, he met me at this stage in my life, whereas it took 12 years to get to where I am, if not more, but it is, really helpful to have that support and not just in getting it other, but in general. And that's really nice. But I really do harp on the fact that having a mental health professional alongside all of the other support networks is key. It really is. It saved my life many, many times. And it's something that I hope will be more readily accessible and something that my colleagues kind of have access to. I mean, we all do, but to a degree, I really do think that's to some people, including people who don't make as much money, therapy is a luxury, which breaks my heart because it's truly life changing.
0: Yeah. And you talked about training and just like the lack of it from a significant other. And that kind of moves into another area or spot that I wanted to chat through. And you shared when we talked just the different areas of veterinary medicine where there are challenges. And you kind of broke it down into three different spots. And I'm just going to bring them back and then you can take it however you want to go and we'll dive into each. But It was talking about people managing other people who were not trained to do so. So again, that kind of triggered when you talked about your significant other, being each other's biggest gripe, and then just feeling kind of financially stuck. Those were three that certainly came through loud and clear when we chatted. So I don't know if we want to start at the top or if there's anyone that sticks out that you think would be a good place to start.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I saw on Instagram today, another vet professional talking about how a lot of times we want to blame kind of outside circumstances on why the vet profession is so tough, AKA clients, right? But that's to me not ever going to change. And I don't think that's ever been the real issue. I think a lot of it is within our profession, how we take care of ourselves and also take care of each other. And I remember mentioning during our first conversation that like empathy goes a long way for me personally, but I think it can go a long way for For each of us if we just had more empathy for each other. And I may say something that's probably a little controversial, but I do think to some degree in this profession, we make it a bit harder for each other. And a lot of people I know in my personal circle agree that I think change starts in how we treat ourselves and each other. I've seen a lot of people not really knowing how to show up for themselves and for each other. I've seen a lot of kind of negative interactions in this profession that does account for a lot of the burnout, you know, without getting into specifics. But like you said, a lot of of higher ups not knowing what to do to support the staff that's burning out in front of them, not having that training which none of us have, like mental health training is just not something that is ingrained or taught to any of us. And then we're kind of spit out into this profession that requires you to have that in order to survive yourself and to take care of other humans with their animals, but it's the human that you have to go through first. So I think a lot of the times the biggest issue is that we don't know how to show up for ourselves and take care of each other. And it's really starts with mental health and having empathy and trying to understand each other and be there for each other. And a lot of the times that is the case, but I do find that that is a big problem along with kind of the other things that you mentioned that I talked about before, kind of feeling financially stuck. Of course, that plays a huge issue too.
0: And then is there, without getting too detailed into examples of what you've seen at a high level, as far as being able to support each other, obviously taking care of yourself to make sure that you're in a good headspace is super important, but how are others or whether it's from a veterinarian to text, is it veterinarian to veterinarian, just not making it easy on each other? I mean, is there, I'm sure most people listening as the non-DVM here in the conversation, I don't see it. Just like you talked about your significant other, like I don't see that. So that's why I always will ask clarifying questions. I'm sure a lot of DVMs are listening to this already saying, yeah, totally get that. Like I see that all the time, but what have you seen or what are some, I guess, examples of that where it could be different, where someone could be supporting or helping each other versus, I don't know, tearing them down or making it worse.
1: Yeah. And I think this probably isn't a unique issue to vet med, but it is an issue in general, just not really trying to meet people where they're at. Meaning like basically putting yourself in their shoes, realizing everyone has stuff going on in their lives. A lot of the times I think we get tunnel vision because we're trying to help these stressed clients with their sick pets. And we just think about like our schedule. There's a lot of me, 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 and my schedule and what my day is going to look like. And not a lot of kind of like, oh, like let's do this as a team or a group. There's been people, not just my personal experience, this is also experience from my friends and colleagues who have been thrown under the bus, like talking badly about each other. And this goes for vet techs and veterinarians, I've seen it all. And that's just not helpful. And I think it does harm the profession more so than not. It's not something that we talk about, though. Again, this is pretty controversial. And I don't know how people are going to feel listening to this, but I do think that that's something I've noticed that we do to each other that it has to really stop. Like I think supporting each other more than not is the way to go. And I don't know if that's because we're all burned out. And as I said, like if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. And that includes your colleagues. So stuff like that has been pretty heartbreaking to see. And that's not the general norm. I will say more than not, we do take care of each other, but the dark side of it all is that sometimes we don't. And I think it really just stems from not having that awareness and empathy and being able to handle your own emotions and other humans' emotions. And the pandemic, like, woo like that kind of, it threw us all for a loop. Like, how are we ever supposed to to prepare for that, but I do think it just kind of brought that to light, and something that I've actually had a conversation with my friend and colleague with about. It's kind of hard to explain, and I don't want to like paint a negative light on this profession by any means, but it is something that I haven't heard discussed yet that does need some kind of a, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's not necessarily, hey, I have all the answers. This is the five steps. This is the one action you need to take. And then it all gets better. It's more or less realizing this is an issue. And if everyone understands it and says, shoot, I need to make sure that I'm actively trying to look out for each other. And yeah, maybe this other doctor, like we aren't going to be best friends and hang out after work. But when we're here, like we can try to support each other, even though they do that one thing or those three things that drive me absolutely crazy. You have to try to to say at the end of the day, like we're in this together and like for your own mental sanity and be able to create an environment where you can have longevity in this career. If you're helping and taking care of each other versus bickering or going back and forth, like that's not going to be helpful for anyone. You might just think it's just you and that other person that have the issue, but then that's going to rub off on the rest of the the group. And then you don't know the knock on effects from that. So yeah, I think again, like you don't want it to be, everyone's complaining and this is the worst profession because you hear all the negative things about people saying that they wouldn't recommend it to other people. And I mean, I've been on the podcast and champion and I want to, I want to make it a place where people are like, shoot, this is a fantastic career because there are wonderful opportunities. And I think you would agree with that too. There are, I think you've been Open enough, brave enough, honest enough, where maybe other people have just tried to sugarcoat it around things. And I think that's important where sometimes hard conversations are really, really important and they're not fun. No one wants to be the person that's like, hey, let's have this hard conversation versus trying to gloss over it and then just allowing the next generation and the next generation of veterinarians to have the same issues. Like, okay, let's just try to solve this darn thing. Yeah. Just to say, like, I think we need to have hard conversations. That's the key.
1: I agree. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm pretty straightforward. I don't generally beat around the bush, which has gotten me into trouble sometimes. But for the most part, I feel like it does serve me well.
0: You and me both. Uh, (laughs) I I have, yeah, you could, I'm sure talk to my family, my wife around and those things. But yeah, hard conversations are important. And sometimes you have them and you might not be right, but you still need to have them. So. Exactly. I want to talk a little bit about like your story and kind of path of getting to where you're at. So first generation of anyone going to college in your family, is that correct?
1: Yes. I mean, in my immediate family, yes.
0: Immediate family. And one thing that I had asked you in our initial conversation, I want to get into it a little bit, but I'd love to kind of hear the story going through, but just financially, like you're the first one in your family that has made the kind of money that you made. Again, you can call it good money, whatever, right? Like it's just you're at a different point where you can afford things that maybe wasn't the same way. So, can you talk a little bit about what growing up and what money looked like for you and your family and then how th- that has changed? And just the relationship dynamics of going through vet school, because again, they don't understand what you've gone through to get here. And I know that's a really like loaded and very deep question. So I guess the first part would just be your initial foray and journey into veterinary medicine. And then let's talk about like what you saw from a money perspective, like what it was growing up for you, because it's so many times what's modeled for us is how we look at the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I grew up in poverty, to just say it bluntly. I was born in Staten Island, New York was raised in the Bronx. I, from a very young age, we lived in a shelter when we moved to the Bronx out of a shelter with me and my older sister, brother, and my mom. And every day was a struggle for all of us. We were on food stamps and there were days where we had no food and it was like surviving was hard. And when I think back to like, how the hell did I get here? I'm like, <laughs> Idea. Like, I honestly think it was genetics and just the sheer will of like wanting to get out of there. But like, I have always had a scarcity mindset, and I think I always will because that was my blueprint in life. I was born with nothing. So, financially speaking, and and this goes for all minorities, but mostly Black people, especially as a Black woman, like, financial literacy is just not a thing at all. Like, I know more about money now than I ever did, but no one ever sat me down and was like, hey, here's what to do when you get money, when you become a successful adult. Like That's just not something I was well-equipped for. And it wasn't still kind of is a very bitter point for me in that my classmates, my colleagues had help from their parents most of the time. I remember in vet school, like, There were students who had their rent paid for, their gas. Like, I didn't have a driver's license, for Christ's sake. You know, like, when I started vet school, I had to learn how to drive and get my first car as a vet student. And there were, like, students who had all this money. And I was just in a whole different world. You know, it was just like, where the hell am I? I was the only Black person in my class at Cornell Vet School. So it was tough. I mean, that's just putting it mildly, but it was really, really hard to, like, get to where I am. So, yeah. It feels fantastic to have made it thus far, but my family still lives in the Bronx, still lives in poverty, unfortunately. And being where I am now is just, it's something that they're very proud of, which is awesome, but it's something they'll never really understand. It's really weird to think about. I mean, when I go home to visit the Bronx once in a while, it's usually pretty tough. And I just recently realized I'm like, why am I always so tired when I come back from like visiting family? And it's just because like taking on like where I came from and where I am, like the stark contrast is kind of like whiplash and it's just emotionally heavy. But yeah, I am the only doctor in my family and I don't want to be the last. And a part of my journey is of learning about financial literacy is to make it so that my future child or children doesn't backslide. I'm trying to like change the entire kind of genetic code completely to like let go of the things that held my mom and my grandmother back and just make it so that I have something to show for when I'm not here anymore. And I know that's probably putting a lot of pressure on myself which I'm very good at doing, but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell and kind of how I've been processing it. But I mean, to be quite honest, I say like there are days where I'm like, I think about it and I have to stop because it's a little overwhelming. But that's just the truth.
0: Yeah, your story is unbelievable from the standpoint of, like you said, going from where you've been to where you are now. It's worlds away. Like it's hard for someone to make that kind of leap just Financially, to make that jump in one generation, like you said, and how do you create that legacy? And I think that's actually a fantastic point of saying, like, if you look back into the history of your family and no one has really set the expectations of how we're going to think about money, how do we treat this, how do we do these things and instill the values around that? If you can't find anyone that's done that, it's going to be you. And that's awesome. Like, that's fantastic. And I've had those conversations before. And it's super powerful. Like it's really, really powerful because yeah, you can do things. You can impact people that hundreds of years down the road. And like, that's really special. And not to say that someone that came from money is not going to be able to do the same things, but it's a very different process. And that scarcity mindset is something that a lot of people go through and try to understand like, okay, even when things are good, you're just waiting for something bad to happen because that's always what you've been Condition and think about like, oh, well, yeah, I have this great stuff now, but what happens if this and this, and it's like, oh my gosh, I am so paralyzed by thinking all this shit's going to go wrong versus expecting to be positive and say, you know what? Like I've busted my hump to get here. I am really intelligent. I am well-respected. The knowledge that I have changes the lives of people I work with. I'm good. And I'm going to then take the next step. So yeah, I guess I'm just Discussing and thinking out loud of just hearing that. But you mentioned as a black woman, but I think a lot of times within veterinary medicine, single females that are making more money a lot of times than maybe significant others if they aren't married or someone that they're dating. like that's a different perspective than kind of this cultural norm of the breadwinner being the male or whatever. Like you can be a single woman and make good money and be like, yeah, I don't need anyone else to make this go and make this happen. Have you had experiences where? that's come up just going and trying to get established just from a female's perspective of, I don't know, like I think of even the carbine experience, like some people will talk about, oh, it's a female, like you get taken advantage of, or there's different things. Have you experienced any of that? Have you thought about it? I mean, how do you look at, I guess, being a female doctor that has, I don't want to say made it because I think that's probably the wrong term because you're like, like you said before, you're always continuing to strive to do more, but yeah, thoughts on that? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times I try to see past how tough things may be for me based on how I look and who I am and and do a lot of research to prevent that. So for example, like when I got my first car, which was like a beat up 2001 Honda Civic. I miss her dearly still. But when I would go to the mechanic, I had to do research like, okay, like which mechanics won't try to take advantage of me. Let's read some reviews. Let's talk to people. And I thankfully have had a lot of males, a lot of white males in my life who've been very helpful and open with advice. I know who to go to. I'm like, all right, so you likely know about XYZ. Like I have a wonderful colleague and friend who I met during my first year of vet school, we lived together for two years. And I always am like asking him, like he's very financially savvy. And we always joke about how he's like frugal, but I've always had like good, I guess, mentorship and help along the way, or at least I knew where to look. So that's been really, really helpful. But I mean, it's still tough because I know I'm still being taken advantage of when I just bought my new car this past July. Like after I came back, my boyfriend was like, what? You'd got a terrible deal. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know this. Like, how am I supposed to know this? Like, no one's taught me this. And and that's the tough part too, is like breaking these molds and trying to change my family history. No one's taught me any of this. So I have to learn it myself, either through trial and error most of the time or by asking people who have done it. But it's hard and I know it will continue to be. There are things that I have that I want that no one in my family has ever Had before, and I don't know who to go to. And I can't say I'm not jealous of those people who have like parents who they can go to when shit hits the fan. You know, if they need money in a pinch, if they need advice on how to buy a house, like my boyfriend has that. Like he has two parents who are still married and like grew up with a mom and a dad. I grew up with a single mom. It's really tough to not have that fallback and to basically have raised myself. Like not to say my mom didn't raise me. She did as best as she possibly could. But what I mean is like going through life and doing these things that no one in my family's done is it's hard on its own. But then you add in the female black part and like there are days where I'm like, why bother? But those are dark days and those are not common, thankfully. But there are some days where I'm like, what's the point? (laughs) You know, like, why bother if it's going to be so difficult and so difficult forever? When is it ever going to be easier? And that's just me kind of rambling and and getting into like the deeper side of it. But it's the truth, as I said before. Yeah, breaking the mold's hard. (laughs) Like, it's not. Yeah. (laughs) It's not for the faint of heart.
0: (laughs) You have to have, like you said, like, you have to be empathetic to like understand how other people and where they're coming from. And again, I think part of that is the way that you saw life growing up, but you also have to have thick skin and be like, Hey, I'm a no BS type of person. Like you said, have hard conversations because you've been forced to have hard conversations because that's just what life has given you. And I want to have one other question around kind of the female perspective around finance. And I want to switch into more around just the lens that you see veterinary medicine through and kind of as a black woman in the profession, because, you know, I've had other conversations in it again, it's an interesting area that I want to at least give you some space to chat on it. But as you talk with your peers, and again, most of the veterinary profession is female dominated at this point, especially the new younger doctors coming in. Do you see, as you have conversations with your peers that are female, like what is the areas of the finances or areas that they struggle? Like, do they feel like, Hey, no one ever taught me this stuff, the same thing. And you're all just kind of learning together and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Is there any common thread or theme that you've seen?
1: The common thread that I see is what I used to be not that long ago, I'd say a year ago, is just lack of interest. Or a lot of my colleagues have abdicated that responsibility to their male partner. <laughs> and Or they just not interested. Because, I mean, to me, speaking personally, like finances were so boring. I had always been living paycheck to paycheck and living in the scarcity mindset. So that's what I was used to. And I was just like, I want to learn about all this stuff. And then one day, and a lot of this I have to attribute to meeting my current partner is I was like, oh, I need to know about this. And I need to know it now. <laughs> it's like, you know, I have all this credit card debt from being a vet student, from being an intern, from being a resident. And my female friends like we talk about it a little bit but not that much i think lately we've been talking about learning more about it which is fantastic but in the past it's not something that is commonly discussed i mean for example i was very shocked after finishing residency and coming into private practice how little we talk about salary like i had to know like how much i was making compared to other people and that's a really uncomfortable conversation that not many women or even men really want to discuss. But like, I would kind of push it because I'm like, I need to know, like, what are you getting paid? Like, is that what I should be getting paid? Or like, should you be getting paid more? Why don't you care? And that's still something that's like not readily discussed at all. And I even push it with my nurses, my vet techs. I'm like, how much do you get paid? Because do you know that this hospital down the road is paying more? And you can actually use that for leverage to get paid more. (laughs) But like having that conversation about money, it's just super uncomfortable for us women. And I hate it. I hate it. I want it to change completely, which is why I love what you do, because I think that is doing us a huge disservice to not know what the hell other people are getting paid, especially the males. Even now, like even though I'm like, tell me more, like how much do you get paid? How do you do this? How do you do that? It's very tight-lipped. Nobody wants to share that information. I'm like, God, we could rule the world if we just talked about money more. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, there was just open communication. I think it's just culturally like it's just not something that anyone wants to talk about. It's just a taboo topic. It's like religion, politics and money are all things that people are like don't talk about that stuff. It's going to get you in trouble. And again, going back to hard conversations, not that Anessa needs to be hard, but from a financial perspective, yeah, you need to understand, like, are you being valued? Because I've had conversations with people that it's like, shoot, you've been at that hospital for six years. I know new grads that are coming out and making more. Like, I think you need to go back and have that conversation and you need to be valued for what you're doing. Like you're super important. Let me tell you about the shortages for associate veterinarians out there. Like I know plenty of people that are looking for someone like you. And if you enjoy where you're at, it's a hard conversation to ask for more money. And you need to have the belief in yourself to say, I'm worth this too. But again, your skill set, how much time and energy, blood, sweat and tears you spent going through vet school, like you should be adequately compensated for that. And a lot of times it's people that like the squeaky wheel gets the grease like that kind of saying, you don't want to be the person that's annoying and like just all about that. Because again, part of the reason why you become veterinarian, as we talked about from the top, it's not to maximize how much money you get paid. I get that, but you should be adequately compensated to have a lifestyle that allows you to do and accomplish things and not have to work till you're 70. Like you need to be able to do these things. So there's a lot of reason why there are a tremendous amount of interest from corporations, private equity money, institutional investors, all these people with hundreds of millions of dollars that are able to come into the space. And it doesn't happen without dynamic and great teams that are providing veterinary medicine. So just remember that. And that's more of just my PSA that I just will continue to throw out there.
1: <laughs> Love it.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you talked a little bit about diversity and I want to go there and more or less, I always look at it from my perspective as a white male. Like I don't have a whole lot to say. I've never lived a day in your shoes. I don't know. Again, it's hard. Like I always say, again, going back to hard conversations, I just want to say, help me understand better. What can I do to be an advocate and how can we get to the point where people are just, loving on people and treat people fair and giving everyone the same shot at stuff. But I wanted to give you just kind of an open mic to talk about what you feel like the veterinary community needs to hear, thoughts that you have. Because I know like the last 12 months, it's definitely picked back up, but it seems to go, and this is my opinion, and maybe it's controversial as well. It's like, it goes to these stages where it's important. And then it goes back to not being important. And it's like, all right, it's great to talk. And you can post a, a black picture on Instagram and say whatever, but it's like, what are you actually doing to make a difference because words are cheap. That's my opinion on it. But I would love to hear from you because again, like I said, I don't have a lot of room to say like, this is what Isaiah thinks. So like, how can I? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I think for one, it's very difficult being one of few veterinary specialists who's black. Like I've been the only specialist in the two hospitals I've been in. Actually, even during residency, I was the only black resident. In every space in my career, I've been the only black person in my class. Like there have been other black people, but we're still small in number. So, I think what would be helpful is for white allies to kind of educate themselves on what we go through. Realizing that, like we don't expect white allies to like one hundred percent understand where we're coming from. There's just no way, shape, or form to do that, but to keep the conversations going, like you said, like not just because it's the thing of the day, of the word of the day, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, like this has been something we've been dealing with our whole lives And the past year, while it's been wonderful that these conversations are happening, like a part of me is like, okay, now when the pandemic's over, is it gonna end? Are we gonna go back to where we were? I know that that profession's making strides in highlighting the fact that we need more diversity in this profession, but I think, and as I've said to you outside of this podcast, There's no way we're going to be able to increase diversity in this profession without making it more affordable. There's no way. A part of me even thinks, like, if someone sat me down and said, hey, like, coming from the Bronx, coming from poverty, like, yeah, you can do this profession. But at the end of the day, you're going to owe basically a house to the government. I don't know if I would have done it, especially realizing that there are other careers that make way more money without doing 12 years of schooling. But at this end of the day, I still don't regret this decision. It's just saying that like you can't expect someone growing up in poverty to be like, yes, I would love to take on a shit ton of debt to do this job that is really difficult, <laughs> that no one really prepares you for 100%. That's just not going to be the way to go about it. You're not going to convince black people to do this if it's not affordable. And that's just the end of the story. And yes, it would help for us to see each other in the profession. So, you know, having that exposure is would be helpful. But at the end of the day, if we can't afford it. And it's easier for my colleague or my classmate who has parents who have money to pay for their gas and their cell phone bill and their housing. And I have to take out loans on loans on loans because I don't have that support. It's not going to happen. It's just really lonely being a minority in this profession. And this past year has been probably the toughest for me. Before, I think it was easy to ignore that I was the only minority in my space. My workspace, but this past year it's been blatantly obvious. For example, the day the Capitol riots happened, I was at work and seeing it live, like I was the first person in the room to be like, if those were Black people, they would be dead. And everyone's like, oh, oh, wow, that's a good point. And it's like, that was my very first thought. And I had no one who looked like me to kind of talk about these feelings that were coming up. And it was just really upsetting. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, this is a problem. And let alone the microaggressions that I get from clients. Like I want to introduce myself as Dr. Davis after having not seen them in person because we're doing curbside and they're like, oh, like, is that, oh, because I'm young looking or is it because I'm brown? You know, that's stuff that the microaggressions being able to talk about that having a space to talk about that is helpful. It's not the solution, but that's just something that my Managers probably have no idea happens and like, they probably have no idea how to address that. But I think that would be helpful too. Like allies who are also managers, I need them to be educated on this too. It's just so many things that we go through that no one will understand, but at least trying to and trying to change things as best as we can is is all that we can do. But as you said, there's really no one solution. And that's what makes it really overwhelming, even for me. But I think it needs to continue. It can't just be because of the pandemic and then we're done. Back to normal life. (laughs) Like It just can't end here. And I hope it doesn't. I have a feeling it won't. But the cynical part of me is like, it might. It really might. And there may not be more Black specialists for a long time or if ever. Like I don't know. I really don't know what to think. But I do appreciate allies who exist. I just wish they were more and they were more outspoken. You weren't afraid to speak up on behalf of us. I can do so but so much talking. But for someone like you to say it and stand up for black people would be even more powerful than especially as a white male, like yeah, I think that's the most helpful thing. But it's just it's tough.
0: <laughs> Thank you for that. I just think about like making that change and trying to think through that a lot of it Going back to kind of what you talked about from like a legacy and families, raising kids that understand, like, hey, this is an issue. And like, I want you to do better than what past generations have done on like communicating with people and again, loving on people and just treating people the same way. Right. And like, if you look at kids, and I can look at this in my own son, like going to daycare and different things, those kids, they're having fun playing with whoever. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, there's no issues. <laughs> and so, where are these learned behaviors then coming from there? Cause it's definitely not innately there. It's not. And so, I think from a parent's perspective for someone and anyone listening that's parents or has impact on young kids, like that's a great place to start because that you can see sustainable change over time. There's some, I'm going to use a terrible saying like, the, can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Like there's certain people that you're never going to get through. You're just yelling at the wall and that's okay. Like it's not okay, but you're not going to change that. So like you're wasting your energy there. But yeah, I don't know. That was just, again, initial thoughts around what you said, but I appreciate that. And I think it's important for people to use Whatever platform, again, this podcast is a small podcast. It's not like it's going out to millions and millions of people, but it's important, again, within the industry to have the conversations. And I agree with you from a profession, and even just someone that didn't, you know, I didn't grow up anywhere near like you did, but I didn't grow up with money or a college fund or any of that stuff either. And like going to vet school, shoot, that probably would have been like, well, that's way too expensive. There's no way I would have done that. And you can't get a profession to the point where it is too expensive to have people go to where it's only the affluent and those that are already successful. Like that's going to change. A lot, and it's not going to be a good thing for the profession. So, trying to figure out a solution there is massively important. And yeah, other thoughts that are going to get us down a different tangent. But what haven't I asked about that's on your mind, either something that you're excited about within veterinary medicine that's been encouraging? Because I feel like a lot of what we've talked about is kind of heavy, and that's not necessarily your personality. When we first talked, I just was so fired up, I've forgotten talking. So, is there anything around veterinary medicine you're just like, shoot i am so excited that this is happening like there's really good things going on anything that pops up
1: there's so many things i mean the fact that there's so many veterinarians and veterinary professionals and veterinary allies like yourself like having these platforms to talk about all the things like not even 2 years ago there was not this much conversation going on about the challenges we experience in a day to day Basis, like it was just stuff we talked about at the end of the day with each other, but like the fact that it's out there and the fact that we have these younger generations who I think truly are going to like be the change that we see in the world. But in this profession, like there are so many veterinarians with platforms on Instagram, Facebook, who are just kind of like, we're helping each other by talking about it, by supporting each other that's super cool. Like I saw a third year vet student with an Instagram account with like so many followers and he's just so inspiring and that's really, really cool. And I think there's a lot of positive change coming. Unfortunately, the pandemic brought up a lot of, and fortunately, a lot of stuff, bad stuff that needs to be changed. And that's been really tough and exhausting. And I think a lot of us are at our wit's end with everything going on, but it had to happen. And I'm kind of glad it did as much as it sucks to say, but I'm really excited for what's to come in terms of shedding light on the issues because I know we're going to solve it. I just know it's going to take time. And as someone who is not the most patient, that part sucks, (laughs) but I'm really excited to be on this podcast, to have these podcasts available, to be so open about mental health. Like this isn't stuff that we talked about before and it's just, that's really, really super cool. So I'm very excited about all of that and what's to come. And I appreciate you having this podcast. I know I said this before, but it's just been this podcast and others like it have been really awesome. And they're very helpful, especially during my commute and listening to other people's stories and resonating with that. Like, it's truly been life changing. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's always cool. Like when we connected and you're like, yeah, I've heard your podcast and this is great to talk to you. I'm like, It's great to always hear people that appreciate it and listen to it. So thank you for that. And the idea of being patient, sometimes being patient is really good, but sometimes having patience is overrated. You need people to push things along. I am one of those people. I feel like we are so wired, very, very similar in spots where I'm like, I'm not that patient. I like to have hard conversations and maybe make people uncomfortable at times. Exactly. (laughs) you've you've heard the podcast, you know, the way that I kind of wrap things up. And I always fail to tell people this before, (laughs) but you can ask me any question. Nothing's off limits. Anything that you want to know. I know we had a long conversation before, but is there anything top of mind that you want to know that you would like to know? Mm -hmm.
1: So I've been thinking of this question, like you said, I listened to your podcast and I'm like, this is the best question, especially for me. So I'm a huge Harry Potter fan and I need to know if you are too. And if you are, what, Hogwarts house are you in?
0: (laughs) This is hilarious. So my wife is reading the books and been watching the movies and I did not read the books. I just skipped straight to the movies because I had brothers. Yeah. So I get told how, oh, this movie's not correct because of this or that. So I'm definitely not, I like Harry Potter and I have nieces and nephews that are like fanatics and crazy about Harry Potter, but I feel like I would have to go with, this is really bad whatever the one that Harry's Gryffindor. in. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so full disclosure, obviously Isaiah is not a big Harry Potter fan. I, I like, like the like, movies, they're good.
1: It, this question's not going to go well.
0: <laughs> it's like, you can edit that one out. No, no, no,
1: no, that's great. We will no, leave it in to show that. Gryffindor based on what yeah. I know about you. <laughs> wife it's telling me all,
0: all this stuff that is skipped over or done wrong as we're watching mm-hmm. it i'm like watch these ones i like they're good
1: you should read them for sure i i recommend that to everybody along with therapy read harry potter it's the best <laughs> i have a tattoo and everything like hardcore things. oh wow
0: yeah <laughs> i love that so now that we're done with harry potter and, <laughs> and thoroughly embarrassing myself with my lack of knowledge As we wrap up and close, A, I cannot thank you enough for spending the time to go through and share this stuff and have, again, hard conversations and have conversations that maybe aren't always the most comfortable to have, but need to happen. And sharing your story and being honest and open, that's hard to do. Being vulnerable about where you've been and the challenges that you've had for a lot of people is super tough. So I really, really appreciate that. For people that are looking to connect with you or wanting to know more, like how would you you suggest they reach out? Is it LinkedIn? Do you have a website? You have places that you want to send people?
1: I am available on Instagram at Dr. Lily Davis. And I'm also on LinkedIn at Lily Davis. That's pretty much it. I have boundaries with social media as well. (laughs)
0: That's good.
1: Well, I'm on, I'm not always on and I don't have like a thousand accounts, but I'm pretty much consistently on LinkedIn at least once a day, as well as Instagram. So you can connect with me there.
0: Well, perfect. Thank you so much for the time and uh, look forward to connecting uh, down the road.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been awesome.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should now be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice.